You are listening to Talk Geek to Me News number 75, recorded for September the 12th, 2012. You are listening to the tech-only Hacker Public Radio edition. To get the full podcast, including political commentary and other controversial topics, please visit www.talkgeektome.us. Here are the vital statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in DeepGeek, TalkGeek to me. And now, the Tech Roundup. From TorrentFreak.com, dated September 6, 2012, by Ernesto, Pirate Bay founder arrest related to tax hack, not piracy. Last week, police arrested Pirate Bay co-founder Gottfried Swatholm in the Cambodian capital of Phnom Penh. Initially, little was known about the reasons for the arrest, but after a few days, the authorities confirmed that Sweden was the driving force behind the actions. According to a spokesperson for the Cambodian police, Swatholm's detainment is connected to alleged cyber crimes. His arrest was made at the request of the Swedish government for a crime related to information technology, he said. Following the statement, it was assumed that information technology referred to Swarthholm's involvement with the Pirate Bay. However, several sources now dispute this and say that Swarthholm's arrest is related to a hacking operation that may date back to 2010. The hack targeted Swedish IT company Logica, which supplies services to the Swedish tax office. Earlier this year, the hack made the headlines when the tax numbers of 9,000 Swedes leaked online. In the months that followed, two Swedish citizens in their 30s were arrested in connection with the hack. One of the suspects in question was a member of Pirate Byron, the group that founded the Pirate Bay back in 2003 and was disbanded two years ago. Swarthholm would be the third suspect in the hacking case, which was previously described by the International Public Prosecution Office as a big and sensitive investigation. A source told Torrent Freak that Swarthholm is not awaiting his deportation in prison, but is being held at the Interior Ministry's Counterterrorism Department. This is confirmed by former Pirate Bay spokesman Peter Sund and the sources of Swedish news site dn.se. On Twitter, Peter Sund adds that Swarthholm, a.k.a. Anakata, has not been offered a lawyer and that the Swedish Foreign Ministry is not helping the Pirate Bay founder either. Swedish Foreign Ministry has not offered Anakata legal help, so they must do that in Sweden, but ignore it when they are behind the warrant, Sund says. Swarthholm is being held in an office space accompanied by personnel from the Interior Ministry and is currently awaiting the authorities' next steps. On Monday, Cambodian officials confirmed that the Pirate Bay founder will eventually be deported. From InTheseTimes.com by David Sirota, dated September 7, 2012, Big Brother in Your Car. Your chipper TV friend Flo, otherwise known as Progressive Insurance's ubiquitous shell, 
wants you to be excited, very excited, as you've probably learned from her effervescent commercials. She and her big brothers in the insurance biz want you to see their new tracking devices for your car, not as a privacy-destroying step to justify racing your government-mandated car insurance premiums. Instead, they want you to see the gizmos which record your vehicle's every move as a great innovation to get you premium discounts for safe driving. Yet, despite the happy TV ads, questions are nonetheless swirling around the so-called telematics-based insurance. Questions that Flo doesn't want you to ask because the tracking system is so frighteningly invasive and arbitrary. To appreciate that disturbing reality, consider how the system operates. For an interview with a progressive manager, FoxNews.com reports that the tracking technology works on algorithms that use your driving style to predict how likely you are to have an accident and how expensive it will be if it happens. Among the mired data points that could be collected are braking frequencies and commuting routes. This may seem innocuous, but the potential use of such data makes the film Minority Report seem less like fantasy than spot-on prophecy, and in that flick, humans have developed technology to fight pre-crime, that is, to stop crimes before they occur and punish people for allegedly preparing to commit said crimes. Telemax-based insurance could easily become the insurance industry realization of that technology. It could help insurers charge you higher rates for embracing driving styles and geographic routes that supposedly mean you are about to incur collision costs, even if you haven't actually incurred said costs, and even if you never will incur said costs in the future. Put another way, rather than charge you higher premiums after you incur costs, the companies can use this technology to preemptively punish you beforehand, a la Department of Pre-Crime. To read the rest of this article, follow links in the show notes. From EFF.org, dated September 7, 2012, by Hanny Fakuri. EFF asks appeal court to rehear a cell site tracking case. Location privacy generally, and cell site tracking specifically, have been two hot issues this year, particularly since the Supreme Court's January ruling in United States v. Jones that installing a GPS device on a car without a search warrant violated the Fourth Amendment. After Jones, we were optimistic that both courts and legislatures would begin to take location privacy seriously and demand warrants before granting law enforcement access to a map of our every movements over an extended period of time. But it hasn't turned out that way. In August, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a very bad decision, ruling law enforcement did not need a search warrant to track a cell phone in real time. So this week, EFF and a number of other civil liberties organizations joined together in an amicus brief to ask the Sixth Circuit to reconsider its decision. The Sixth Circuit heard argument in the case just a few days before the Supreme Court issued its opinion in Jones, without the benefit of an in-depth discussion of the impact of that critical decision, the Sixth Circuit's opinion naturally failed to appreciate the changing legal landscape and gutting privacy protections for millions of people. To read the rest of this article, follow links in the show notes. From EFF.org, dated September 7, 2012, by Kurt Opshall and Parker Higgins, Copyrights Robot Wars Heat Up as Algorithms Block Live Streams First and Ask Questions Later. Copyrights Robot Wars have burst onto the scene of streaming video sites, silencing live feeds with bogus infringement accusations and no human oversight. 
Two examples from just the past week show the danger that lies ahead if copyright enforcement is left to bots alone and sit alongside last month's Mars Lander takedown as embarrassing results of the unchecked and lopsided algorithmic copyright cops that are becoming increasingly common online. On Sunday, the live Ustream feed of the annual Hugo Science Fiction Award Ceremonies was cut off in midstream after airing clips from nominated TV programs including Doctor Who and Community. These clips were provided by the studios behind the programs and would have been a clear fair use even without that explicit permission, but still the stream went down and didn't come back. Then on Tuesday, just after the speeches at the Democratic National Convention had concluded, YouTube showed a copyright error message on the stream, rendering the prominently embedded video temporarily unemployable. According to a YouTube spokesman, the message was the result of an incorrect error message on the page and did not interfere with the live stream during the speech. Nevertheless, this highlights the potential danger of bots at one of the most prominent political events of the presidential campaign season, an error occurred with all the hallmarks of a copyright takedown. We have asked YouTube for more information on why the error text had copyright messaging. In the case of the Hugos, this wasn't a bot running off the rails. In fact, the system was working exactly as expected. Vobile, the third-party copyright filtering system used by Ustream, identified a matching clip from its database and, lacking the context that any human oversight could have provided about fair use and licenses, decide the stream's fate in a microsecond. Termination. And because these bots generally operate outside of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, there is little accountability or opportunity for the uploader to remedy the situation. Most copyright takedowns on the web are handled under the notice and takedown procedures set out by the DMCA, which provides a legal safe harbor from liability for service providers that comply. While the DMCA is far from perfect and is itself subject to abuse, it still requires a human to swear under penalty of perjury that there is infringement and allows for the material to return after a counter notice. But the automated copyright filters in use by Ustream, YouTube, and others go beyond the requirements of the DMCA and thus operate outside of it. As a result, users are left without the standard appeals process and have only the recourse provided by the video platform. YouTube has an appeal system built into its content ID system, but it has its own host of problems. For Ustream's part, it realized the error during the program but was, by its own admission, unable to lift the block in time to restart the stream. Ustream has since apologized and promised to ensure fair use of copyright as permitted by the law. To read the rest of this article, follow links in the show notes. From torrentfreak.com by Ernesto, dated September 4, 2012 Anti-piracy block lists don't keep BitTorrent spies out. When people use BitTorrent to download copyrighted material, there's a good chance that their IP addresses are being logged by anti-piracy groups. Just last week we showed that two of these companies were snooping on thousands of torrents. Many piracy-conscious BitTorrent users are well aware of this kind of monitoring activity and take measures to remain anonymous. The preferred way for many is to use a VPN or proxy, which conceals their ISP IP address. 
Another group of BitTorrent users prefer a free option in the form of a block list. These block lists prevent a BitTorrent client from connecting to IP addresses that presumably belong to anti-piracy outfits. While these block lists do provide some security, they are not foolproof. Some anti-piracy groups are not recognized by the block list and therefore not blocked. This means that users who rely on them as their only means of protection are at risk of being logged. In a new paper titled, The Unbearable Lightness of Monitoring, Direct Monitoring in BitTorrent, researchers from the University of Birmingham try to quantify this problem. The researchers developed a methodology to detect which peers in a swarm are likely to be anti-piracy monitors. The research looked at 60 public torrent files, and over a period of time they found 856 peers on five subnets that showed strong characteristics of monitoring agencies. This data allowed them to compare their findings to the IP addresses that are blocked by the popular iBlocklist blocklist to see how effective it is at keeping BitTorrent spies out. Perhaps not surprisingly, the blocklist doesn't offer complete security. 69% of the IP addresses of monitoring companies were blocked, but the other 31% were not. In other words, nearly one in three logging attempts bypassed the blocklist. Our direct monitoring analysis produced 593 peers out of 856 that appear in subnets listed in the anti-infringement list. In addition, our analysis identifies 263 peers that, albeit displaying the same behavior as monitoring peers, do not currently appear in block lists, the researchers write. BitTorrent users should therefore not rely solely on such speculative block lists to protect their privacy, they add, suggesting that these BitTorrent users should add block lists based on empirical research. In addition to examining the effectiveness of iBlocklist, the researchers also identified the prevalence of indirect versus direct detection methods. In the past, indirect methods where modern companies obtain lists of IP addresses without connecting to the downloaders have been heavily criticized. The main problem that these lead to a higher number of false accusations. For example, research has shown that due to shoddy techniques, even a network printer can be accused of sharing copyrighted files on BitTorrent. In the paper, the researchers found that direct methods, where the anti-piracy group confirms that downloaders are actually sharing, are also widely used now. Their paper is first to provide evidence of direct monitoring, suggesting that monitoring companies are upping for their accuracy. For U.S. Internet subscribers, the topic is relevant as the Six Strikes Anti-Piracy Scheme will be rolled out later this year. The Center for Copyright Information has yet to announce the names of the companies that will do the spying for the six-strike system, and when they do, it will be interesting to see what data-gathering methods they use. But whatever the answer, the block list alone is not going to prevent BitTorrent users from running into trouble. News from TechDebt.com, MaggieMcNeil.WordPress.com, and InTheseTimes.com used under arranged permission. News from TorrentFreak.com and EFF.org used under permission of the Creative Commons by Attribution License. News from DemocracyNow.org used under permission of the Creative Commons by Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. News sources retain their respective copyrights.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. Here are the vile statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in Deep Geek. Talk Geek to Me. This episode of Talk Geek to Me is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unpoured License. This license allows commercial reuse of the work, as well as allowing you to modify the work, so long as you share alike the same rights you have received under this license. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.